irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Animal News Magazine with Nancy DeFabio, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Not all eggs are created equal. If you see a homeless person, hide your dog. Would you rather go naked than wear fur? These are just a few of the topics we will be covering today. Hello, I'm William Mayock. And I am Nancy DeFabio. Welcome to Animal News Magazine. This is a live radio show about animals. Topics range from animals in science, to animals in entertainment, to animals in religion, to animals in agriculture. Animals play an important role in our daily lives as individuals and as a society. So this show is about increasing our knowledge and understanding of the animal world. And from that information, you can draw your own conclusion. Our guest today at about 2.30 is Kimberly Moore. She's uh, an attorney, I believe, and she's with Fur Free Society. She'll be talking to us about the relationship between uh, real fur and China. And also there is a lawsuit that was filed with the Vatican. I think Fur Free Society filed the lawsuit, so we'll be talking a little bit about that. Um, So before we start... um, there's, uh, we were at a party yesterday. If you want to call it up? Oh, actually, it was a film screening of uh, Gibbons, uh, Guardians, Violet and Her Guardians. I, I, the, the name, I don't recollect the name, but it was an amazing film, documentary. I agree. William here. And, you know, it was, it was what, a 40-minute motion picture? Yeah, documentary. It was, it was very, it's a masterpiece. so well done. It's about a really, a, it's a, unfortunately, uh, it's not known that there's a sanctuary conservatory in Santa Clarita. It's called the Gibbons Conservation Center. And a, most, a beautiful person by the name of Gabriela runs the place along with many other volunteers. And um, the Gibbons uh, are the smallest of the ace species, I think, and endangered, seriously endangered. Uh, they were here last week to talk about a little bit about the reasons for uh, the endangerment, and that's um, that has a little bit to do with uh, deforestation, among other things. Yeah, I, I think it was called Violet is Blue. Violet is Blue. Violet is one of the several uh, apes who live in the compound. So uh, this is what you can do. We went yesterday. We were invited to the film screening. There was a beautiful reception afterwards. Uh, one of the directors, producers, and writers is an um, Emmy-winning um, person. His name is Alex Azemi. I hope I got his name right. Anyway, a bunch of beautiful people. If you sh- shop at Amazon, and if you live on this planet, you probably do. Smile.amazon.com. Go there every time you buy something, and a small percentage of the proceeds will go to the Gibbons Conservation Center. It's I am wonderful. going to do that. And there's nothing actually you have to do. And then your phone with the, you know, will just lead you right to that uh, web page and all that. You know, smile.amazon.com, smile.amazon.com. You'll contribute. This is uh, an ape, little apes, little ape sanctuary. 
uh, just outside a place in uh, Valencia, California. It's where the Magic Mountain is up there, uh, called Santa Clara Valley. They film a lot out there. Uh, and, anyways, this place is so worthy of some uh, donations, and it's so worthy of recognition. And really, uh, if there's a corporate uh, potential do-gooder out there, and they want these little apes, endangered species, there's about right. 20 of them. And if they want to do good and they want to help this place, that these people are saints. We, we were introduced to the whole panel. It was very professionally done. They showed the 39-minute uh, motion picture, a masterpiece. And then a couple of the key players were there. These people just really, really just donate their whole lives. They're right. married to the apes, to the premises there, to maintaining. I don't think they draw a salary at all. No. At all. And they're just there devoted to the... Uh, these beautiful little creatures, and these creatures, they sing, they bond. It's unbelievable. It's a soap opera. And, <laughs> yes. and it's also a tearjerker movie. Yes, is, you did cry a little bit, I didn't cried you? a lot. Okay, I <laughs> cried a lot. And then, and I just sainthooded all of them after the, the movie thingy, and I just said, you're a saint, you're a saint. There's Gabriella, there's another girl, Alma Rodriguez. Alex is the guy behind the movie. It was a movie maker guy over there. And, and it was just... Full of class, full of beauty. Right. So, so any corporate sponsor out there, really, I never felt like pitching somebody, and they, they don't even nickel and dime you. But when you see this, you really yeah. want to help them out. So, any corporations, you know, Bill Gates. This is the guy that spends this on breakfast. They're on property now that might be taken from them. They they need to purchase it in Southern California for four hundred thousand dollars. There's a corporation or a big, huge tycoon someplace who could just donate all or part or some of it or any small donations anything's welcome they'll get a tax write-off or even if let's say you go to a, let's say like walmart you go you check out at walmart they have you want to give one dollar to this cost to uh, that well, cost there it, might be some people out gibbons, there who, gibbons it's it's like yeah. yule gibbons that guy a long time ago g-i-b-b-o-n-s that's what this species of ape is called and 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 they sing and they're they're it's amazing they like mate and they have kids it's unbelievable. It's like little families, and, and they're really in need of help because uh, they, they were very much damaged by fires a while ago. It encroached them. It was terrible. It was a miracle that they survived. I mean, it, the yeah. fire was burning all around, all around them, them, but they so remained touching. almost intact. Well, didn't lose any bodies or so, any, any any apes. Um, so touching. If you do live or... Visiting the visit, Southern California area. There. If you're put in Disneyland or... Knott's Berry Park, Universal <laughs> City, everywhere across the globe. These folks that, that come visit Southern California, Los Angeles, you'll see the stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Please go see the Gibbons and contribute something. What a wonderful place. Okay, moving on. Actually, I before we move on, I want to do my little joke of the, the it's week. It's your show, Nancy. <laughs> it's your show. So a guy spots a sign outside a house that reads, Adopt a Dog. So the guy knocks on the door and he's invited in. So he amusingly asks the little dog, So what have you done with your life, little dog? The dog answers, I've led a very full life. I lived in the Alps, rescuing avalanche victims. Then I served my country in Afghanistan. And now I spend my days reading to the residents of a retirement home. So the guy is stunned. He asks the dog's owner, Why on earth would you want to get rid of of an incredible dog like that. The owner says because he's a liar, he never did any of that. (laughs) (laughs) Very good, Nancy. Very, very good. Well, on a more serious note, 
as such, we have a live audience in studio here, all 300 people. Thank you. Uh, on a more serious note, uh, Pomona, Pomona here in Southern California, Pomona police are asking for the public's help in identifying a man who investigators say stabbed and killed the pet dog called Guerra in her owner's front yard. The incident, which was captured by a surveillance camera, happened on July 17, 2019, outside a home on the 800 block of East 2nd Street. The suspect was recorded trespassing on the property and chasing the animal, quote, ultimately stabbing the innocent dog to death, end of quote. The owner found the dog's body Tuesday morning, just a few days ago, and watched disturbing video surveillance of the attack. The video shows that the homeless man chased the dog down, cornered her, and stabbed her in the neck. The man being sought is described as white or Hispanic, about 30 to 35 years of age, standing 5 feet tall, that's 5 feet 10 inches tall, and weighing about 130 pounds. He has black hair, brown eyes, frequents the block on which the stabbing occurred, according to police. The suspect was last seen wearing a fisherman-style hat, gray T-shirt, shorts, black socks, and sandals. The owner's son, who asked not to be identified, said his father is certain the attacker, whom they described as a transient, had broken into the business years ago and had even been arrested. Anyone with information about the case is asked to call Pomona Police at 909-620-2085. That's 909-620-2085. Anonymous tips may be submitted, of course, to Crime Stoppers. At 800-222-8477, 800-222-8477. Horrible story. Any help is invited. And that's part of the you know the increasing uh, plight that Los Angeles has with these liberal politicians allowing in their fake effort at trying to help people and homeless people, letting them just camp out everywhere and contribute to the, the crime uh, in environments against an innocent dog here. Uh, nutcase uh, goes ahead and attacks the dog. This was on the news. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I wonder if they caught the. It the, was that the happened the, on July on lo- 19, I believe. The local news, yeah. Just some crazy vagrant person. Just and yeah. they show the dog innocent in the yard, minding its own business. This guy just it was takes... like a mechanic shop or something. Disgusting. Yeah. Uh, in, in other news, uh, in April, a stranger stabbed a dog in the head. During a walk with his owner in Woodland Hills, that's a nice suburban area in the San Fernando Valley, north of Los Angeles. Uh, Oscar and Adam Cates Vera rescued the eight-and-a-half-year-old female terrier mix from the shelter six years ago. In April, just around the corner from their house, their 15-year-old son was walking Coco when she pulled away and ran up to a stranger in a playful manner. The stranger didn't like that, and he pulled out a folding knife. The boy yelled, she's just a little dog. He yelled, stop, two times. And although the dog was not attacking the stranger, the vagrant, the man responded that he feared for his life. He yelled, dog or human, I will protect myself. The man, a transient, you know, it's amazing how Gavin Newsom and uh, what's his fancy pants there, uh, Garcetti. Maybe they have to stab his dog or something. That's right. They're all quiet about these, all the advocates. We're okay with people being you know, SOL, but, you know, not unruly attacking people and dogs and innocent. uh, It's just terrible what's going on in L.A. 
Anyway, the man at transit walked away with the knife, and they rushed little Coco to the vet with a deep wound and fractured skull. Fortunately, the veterinarian expects Coco to fully recover. Good for Coco. Hey, did I hear a doggy out <laughs> That's there? That's Coco recovering. Did I hear a doggy? Um, actually, um, there's also an important thing here. Even if you don't care about dogs or animals, these people, there, there are so many studies out there, and I'm sure everybody's listening has heard of one or more. People who hurt animals in this manner are highly likely to escalate to hurting people or already do so. They go from animals to children to adults. So this guy, these guys, yeah. they might have done it before and they'll do it again. And maybe there's just maybe the guy who stabbed the uh, the homeless uh, person who stabbed this guy was having dinner with his daughter and his wife at a steakhouse somewhere. Terrible, in, that's right. I don't remember where it was. Somewhere in L.A. County. No, no, no. That was in northern, I think it was central northern California. Okay. So this guy who's to say they didn't go around shooting squirrels or whatever he was doing or stabbing, you know? It's like, we've got to get this under control. We that, just, I don't know what to that's do. That's another story in L.A. where this man was with his little daughter, four or five years old, and this uh, crazy guy just went into the restaurant and stabbed him right in the neck, killed him. And I, I think it's around the uh, up north. I think okay. it's the Bay Area. It's horrible. So, uh, moving on. Yeah, moving on. Well, just a little bit lighter note here, okay? But uh, still, still uh, you know, thematic to the show here. We care about animals being screwed and uh, injustices and how people like you folks can really help and contribute. You know, one little effort at a time, it all adds up, and it's very productive. Uh, so, so, for about a year, Pittsburgh, California residents, Donnie Lee Gibson regularly bought organic eggs at the East Bay Walmart store. He paid $3.97 a dozen for the organic market-side brand, which was about a dollar more than the cage-free market-side eggs. The difference was that the organic label stated that the laying hens were raised, quote, with outdoor access, which is what you'd expect from an organic egg. Gibson, concerned about the welfare of laying hens, was happy to pay a premium for organic eggs. His understanding was that the ladies got some fresh air and sunshine. These eggs were produced for Walmart's private label by Cal Maine Foods in Chase, Kansas. What he found out was the hens lived in industrial, multi-story barns with tiny portholes and long ramps with access to enclosed porches. No soil or vegetation, no fresh air or sunshine, no outdoor access, as the label stated. On January 8, 2018, Gibson became the lead plaintiff in a class action lawsuit filed in the U.S. District Court in Northern California accusing Walmart and CalMaine Foods of fraud. In December of 2017, the United States Department of Agriculture, the USDA, withdrew a groundbreaking animal welfare rule under pressure from large-scale agricultural groups, including egg producers like CalMaine. The new rule under the previous administration clarified the meaning <coughs> excuse me, of outdoor access for poultry as ample access to areas with vegetation and soil. It also clearly disqualified enclosed porches for organic labeling. As the law stands now, CalMaine is technically in compliance with national organic standards, 
But this case has nothing to do with National Organic Program or the USDA Organic Seal. So to make things clear, so there was this rule on the previous administration making it clear that the the, 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 the hens, it defined organic, it defined porches, it made it clear that there, you have to be actually outside um, to be organic. Uh, the new administration, um, there's... We're not sure if they, they're saying they put it on hold, but I think they permanently withdrew this new rule. And so now you don't have to, they don't have to have access um, to the outside. So go ahead. Well, the hens are getting screwed here, right? Because there's no, it, it connotes the consumer free range and, you know. Right. And that, there's none of that going on. We're going to talk about that later, there's actually. There's none of that going on. And anyway, the issue of this case is consumer rights and labeling. It narrows the organic egg scuffle to one essential question. Did Walmart and CalMain use false advertising to defraud its customers? <clears throat> Pardon me. At Walmart, the organic market site egg carton reads on a green background, quote, free to roam, nest, and perch in a protected barn with outdoor access, end of quote. An investigation by the plaintiff's attorneys conducted in the fall photographed eight hen houses at CalMain's Kansas facility. Built in 2014, the facility consists of windowless structures. The supposed outdoors consist of attached concrete porches enclosed with screens and bars that resemble a small state penitentiary. The complaint states, quote, this is not outdoor access for the hens as promised by defendants to consumers paying a premium for it, end of quote. So, so basically, there's a difference here. We don't want to get confused. There's the organic rules, the organic rules that say, so they're under the new rules or the current rules, under the current rules, they're allowed to say that they're organic. But so they're not violating any Tactically. USDA regulation. Tactically. But there's... There are consumer laws out there, and I know that there's a little bit of protection. You can kind of amp up your ads, kind of. You can what, what's that legal term for it? Fluff, like emphasize a little bit. Um, dolus bonus. Dolus bonus stuff like that. Puff, puff, but in this puff case, and puff it up. But in this case, I mean, you're showing. I mean, it, there's definitely false it's brazen, advertising brazen misrepresentation. Here. In fact, they're using imagery and pictures showing these. Hands are, you know, free-ranging and, and going down the meadows and all that, correct? But the new good news is, is? Uh, that the, 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 these lobbyists are concerned that more and more people are starting to be, to care about the welfare of the animal, the quality of the egg. So they, because if there was no loss, if there was nothing to gain, they wouldn't have pressured the administration to... Sure. To, to freeze the new rule or to, to withdraw it. So there's a, and also I, I found this 2016 survey. I'd like to find a more current one. Um, the ASPCA did a survey in 2016 and it found that 77% of consumers are concerned about the welfare of farm animals and 69% of them pay a little bit or a lot of attention to the food labels regarding how the animal was raised. So, that's good. If so shopper, they're, they're if, you know, if, and these people know or should know this. Oh, that's nice. So I'm sure it's gone up, and I think that's why they're starting to feel the squeeze of the organic food. They feel, you know, people are buying organic eggs. They're paying a little bit more, but they're paying. And also, as we're going to talk a little bit later on, if, if we have time, 
There's also, even if you don't, the, the, the quality of the egg is also superior yeah. if you buy uh, pasture-raised uh, eggs. So two points to note that consumers are growing a conscience. They're willing to pay more for free-range, more humane treatment of right. the hens, which is great. Yes. But some sly people like entities like Walmart, CalMain and all that, are allegedly defrauding the consumer because right. they're representing words and an imagery yes. that these are beautiful vacationing, rain-free you know, uh, hens with cute little tails enjoying the sunshine. That's and right. And they got little state penitentiaries instead. And they're in a, yes, they're, they're, they're you know. It's disgusting. It's, it is. It's, 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 so. Stinks. So I'm uh, looking forward to the outcome of the case. Yeah, let's go ahead. So uh, more of a legal slant here also uh, in the United States versus Stevens. This is one real winner, a scumbag here, this guy Stevens, okay? Listen to what entertains this guy, okay? In the United States versus Stevens, the Supreme Court recently addressed the constitutionality of 18 U.S.C. 48, a law prohibiting the sale and possession of depictions of animal cruelty. On April 20, 2019, the Supreme Court granted the request of the United States Department of Justice to review the United States versus Stevens, a case involving the sale of dog fighting videos. This case addresses the constitutionality of 18 U.S.C. 48, a law prohibiting the sale and possession of depictions of animal cruelty that lack social value. Check this out. This is the first Supreme Court case in more than 15 years to directly address the issue of animal cruelty. The last time the court directly addressed animal cruelty was in 1993 uh, in a case called the Church of the Lukumi Babalu I versus City of Hialeah, in which the court struck down a municipal ordinance targeting religious sacrifice of animals. The question before the court in Stevens is whether 18 U.S.C. 48 a federal law that criminalizes the sale of, uh, of depictions of animal cruelty violates the First Amendment to the Constitution. So can you go ahead, brutalize and film animals being brutalized and claim that that's protected speech under the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution? How warped is that? Okay, <laughs> How warped is that, that you can torture and, 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 and video this and claim, no, but it's my free speech, so that I can uh, devastate animals. Uh, certainly the First Amendment was designed for other uh, areas of speech to be protected. But uh, Well, maybe this... the Supreme Court will uh, will take that into consideration, the, 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 the scope of the First Amendment. And what it protects. What it, yeah. So the, the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution guarantees certain freedoms, such as the freedom of speech, of press, of religion, the right to assemble peaceably. The defendant... In the case is Robert Stevens. In January 2005, he was convicted of violating Section 48 by selling three videos depicting dogfights and hog-dogging, a blood sport in which trained dogs fight and bite hogs. Hogs, with an H. The videos included graphic depictions of a pit bull mutilating the lower jaw of a live pig. Yeah, everyone in our radio audience, is that disgusting? crap, depictions of a pit bull mutilating the lower jaw of a live pig. Stevens narrated the videos. Is this guy a great, great scumbag? He's sick, man. Yeah, narrates sick. the videos, produces them, advertises them in dogfighting magazines, and sells them, or at least sold them. He appealed his conviction. 
Uh, he appealed his conviction to the United States Court of Appeals. Now, this is a winner Court of Appeals, too, i got to tell you. Uh, so in a, in a in a decision, they, they ruled in favor of the, Mr. Scumbag Stevens, ruling that Section 40 violated the free speech clause. Right. Can you imagine? So you sick a pit bull on a pig, a live yeah. pig, it rips it to shreds, yeah. and that's protected free speech. This guy, Stevens, can go ahead and narrate a video. This is outrageous. And certainly the framers and those later justices who interpret, who have half a brain, the First Amendment, don't want to protect such... That's like snuff films and murders. I mean, how far do you go with yeah, this protection? that's not protected. So I don't know what they were smoking on the uh, the Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. Uh, yeah, look them up and uh, send them some emails. Anyway, the Supreme Court will hold oral argument in the fall. All right, this is a court proceeding which attorneys have the opportunity, you know, to present their cases orally before the court. But uh, the appellate court declined uh, the government's request to establish a new class of protected speech, depictions of animal cruelty they thought was uh, protected. So um, that this will be decided this fall in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Keep your ears close. Of course, we'll monitor that. Yeah, we will. that information to the, to the our But listeners. it should be a protected class. I mean, you know. It, it should, should be not, unprotected. It should be unprotected under the First Amendment. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, sure. obscenity. What are some of the things Here, that Here are some of the other examples that are not protected. There's no distortions of BS, what's legitimately protected by the First Amendment, free speech. So here's what's not protected. Rightfully so. Obscenity, fighting words, defamation, including libel and slander, child pornography, perjury, blackmail, incitement to imminent lawless action, true threats, and solicitation to commit crimes. And that's rightly so. That should be unprotected, yeah, free speech. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> so we'll hear more about that. I can't soon believe um, what kind of a world we live in, where that kind of stuff is. Uh, that should never be protected. So let's uh, let's let's talk about uh, Donald Trump a little bit. Donald Trump and that <laughs> that wall. Well, let's see what happens with that wall. So uh, you know, concerned and environmentalist people are weighing in on the the consequences of a wall. So. Uh, Here's here's some issue with regard to challenging the emergency declaration. As recalled, President Trump a few months ago declared an emergency on our southern border and that uh, he needed some funds reassigned from the Defense Department, I believe, to uh, building this wall. So the Center for Biological Diversity and Defenders of Wildlife filed the lawsuit with the United States District Court for the District of Columbia against President Donald Trump and several officials within the Trump administration arguing that President Trump's emergency declaration redirecting $6 billion in federal funds to pay for walls along the United States' southern border exceeds his executive power under the Constitution, the National Emergencies Act, and other federal laws. The lawsuit argues that the proposed border wall threatens animals, including endangered species, in numerous ways such as restricting their movement and passage, which could lead to eradication or localized extinction. There's also concern and that the sum of the $6 billion in redirected funds will be taken from programs to combat wildlife trafficking, posing another threat to animals. The proposed border wall would cause immediate and long-term harm to countless species, 
including the more than 100 endangered or threatened species living along the border. Those endangered animals include rare cats, like the ocelot and jagarundi uh, that roam wildlife refuge, refuges, uh, refuge areas uh, in southern Texas. Animal families would be divided. Breeding and migratory patterns would be disrupted, and many species like Mexican gray wolves, jaguars, and ocelots, as I mentioned, may be driven to extinction. Terrestrial animals and low-flying birds in the ecologically diverse region along the 2,000-mile southern border already have to navigate around about 650 miles of existing fencing and other barriers. Biologists foresee an extended barrier disrupting their movements even more. The administration intends to file... Oh, actually, they did. They filed a motion to dismiss. Yeah, we're going to follow that one also, see where that one goes. Um, do you have any gut reaction, Nancy Borderwall? Do you think it it, it really it disturbs the ecosystem there? Any you gut? know, I, I I have to see the evidence. Okay. You know, I read it. Uh, I thought it was worth talking about. The but jury's out. I really, the jury's, jury's out. out. I really want to see the evidence because uh, animals are very smart, and I think... Um, I mean, at f- I, I, I'm not sure. Some of them might have the ingenuity to go up, That's around, over, and under, just or like to the, know and the, to say, okay, something's coming. Like when you're building new communities, you're right. building the communities, hundred houses in like phase one or phase eight. I mean, those wild animals already have an idea. Okay, something's happening. I need to. They can accommodate. I need to. I need to to, you know, rearrange my my habitat, so to speak. I'm not in favor of that. I think, you know, they came first, so we shouldn't disturb them. But as far as this case goes, uh, I have to to really look at the evidence. I have to follow. Listen, maybe we can get a special guest like one of our favorites, Bill Nye, the science guy. Yeah. And we can get him to chime in on this. I don't know if he's, he he might help us with chemistry and stuff, but uh, I'm not sure about the other stuff. So anyway, we have a guest who's going to be coming on. She should be calling in. At, at about uh, now, uh, so she she might be a few minutes late. Uh, so while we're waiting for her, um, I, we're going to start a little bit of a series. I don't know if it's a series, but we're going to be talking about eggs because I have a friend and her mother is an amazing baker. And she asked me one day, what's the difference between this egg and that egg and that egg? My mother wants to know because she wants to be ethical in her baking. And I had limited answers you know the worst ones obviously are those battery those 99 cent store eggs that you buy those are the worst they're horrible for you they're horrible for the hands they're just horrible horrible you can don't ever 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 buy those eggs it's horrible why because they're cruel to the hands. oh it's horrible the way the way the hands uh live confined quarters in in battery cages so we're going to go through that then we're going to go through caged eggs um those are the caged eggs the uh, cage-free eggs so while we're waiting for our first free society lady, Kimberly, to come on. Um, I want to talk a little bit about eggs. Sure. And we might finish this next week. Um, so approximately 305 million egg-laying hens live in the United States at any given time. So that shows you that it's a big business. And if you've ever bought eggs in a supermarket, you probably wonder, do I buy the regular eggs, the cage-free eggs, which pasture-raised eggs? So do I buy free-range? Do I buy organic? So what does it all mean? Like our friend in that lawsuit, Stevens. You know, he's not he, our friend. He's evil. 
I mean, not Stevens, the other Stevens guy. I got my cases evil. confused. The Walmart guy, who, uh, the plaintiff who sued Walmart. Right. That gentleman, okay? Right. Um, so what does it all mean? And which of these ex-producers are really treating their hands humanely and which are just trying to, which are just lying to you, basically? So there are differences between these categories. The, you, the worst eggs, like I already said, the cheapest ones are from caged systems. Um, so between 90 to 95% of these birds william you were asking are packed into tiny barren wire cages that are they're stacked in rows one on top of the other and uh the birds are confined in these cages and you have five to ten birds in each cage um the now the egg industries trade association uh this is not a legal entity these are just like advisors uh the united egg producers like we were talking about before They only ask their members, their producers, to give each bird 67 square inches of space. That's all they need is 67 square inches of space. And that's, I think, less than an 8.5 by 11-inch paper. So are you looking at my paper now? That's even smaller than this, okay? Um, Which basically enough space to stand upright, but not enough to really stretch your wings or move around. So so this is an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper. Yeah, this, okay, yeah, so it, the chicken needs at least this space? That sounds, that looks No, no, the chicken gets less, 67 inches, even less than this. Right. Okay, that's the recommended so space it, for battery chicken, battery cage chicken. Right, which is bad. I it's, mean, it's 10. Too, it's very small, right? It's terrible. Absolutely. Right, so just look at the average sheet of paper around with probably an arm's reach you out there, and just take a look at the, 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 you know, the circumference of an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper. Standard letter size sheet of paper. Terrible. Yeah, and not only can they can't even stretch their wings, really move around. Um, so this uh, trade association um, representing these United Egg Producers (UEP) estimates. Now this is them saying that, so it's a conservative estimate. They estimate that fifteen percent of hands are raised by farmers that don't even meet those standards. Don't even meet those standards. This is their their actual friend who's saying that because they don't have they don't have to. It's all about increasing profits. So about now in this kind of environment, 1,000 hens or more live in large warehouses and uh, under artificial light. They never see the light of day. Wow. Uh, sometimes no wow. light at all. I've seen un- undercover photos, no light at all, dark all the time. And, uh, and for those of you who don't care about the hens but care about your eggs, all they eat is a corn, a grain-based diet of primarily corn and soy. So... So the eggs could be deficient nutritionally, correct? Very, yeah. What could the people do to correct these things? Don't buy bad, don't buy regular eggs. We'll call them regular eggs. The the cheap ones that you get for $1.49.99, they sell them at... The cheaper, the more torture to the hen. Of course. In this particular case, you definitely get what you pay for. So Definitely they should be looking paid. on the packaging for cage-free to the extent we could trust the representation. Well, even cage-free. I mean, it's... What about free-range eggs? Well, I'm going to... You're, 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 you're getting ahead of me. I'm all excited about the eggology here. You're getting here. so excited I'm sorry. over eggs. Yeah, I, yeah, I, Dale, Dale likes eggs, so... He's a good um, egg. Dale's a good egg. So cage-free... Like <laughs> cage-free simply means that the hens were not confined in cages, which is a step in the right direction, Okay. It doesn't mean that they have access to the outdoors. So basically, they're just in a big oh, warehouse. So um, they're not in cages. Ideally, they are free to walk around. Um, 
you know, the hen house and to lay eggs and nests. But the big producers have have them crammed in these. I mean, they can still walk around, which is better than the regular eggs, but they live in cramped conditions. Usually they will live in cramped conditions. And uh, I would say almost all of them don't have access to the outdoors, unless you're a small egg farm. Uh, so don't buy cheap eggs. Even cage-free, no. Cage-free, not the best. Free-range eggs, that's the best. Now let's get to the free-range eggs. Sorry, I'm, I'm too anticipatory. I apologize. <laughs> You're kidding. I'm all egged out. I'm an omelet. <laughs> I'm a scrambled egg, Nancy. I'm a scrambled egg. I'm a scrambled egg. I'm sorry. So the USDA requires that free-range eggs come from chickens that have access to the outside. Access to the outside. Now, that phrase can be interpreted quite generously, or we can interpret it, narrowly some farmers let their free-range chickens roam on real fields and pastures some do but the larger producers here we go again they have not been known to follow the letter of the law uh well they follow the letter of the law in the sense that they 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 put a little fenced patio uh, a fenced patch of cement and that's access uh to the uh outside um and uh, they're usually fed non-organic feed, uh, and they're also probably given antibiotics and other drugs. Not because they're sick, but it has uh, oh, that's no good. benefits. That is, that I think you don't it, want you and your kids full of antibiotics, growth hormones, and all that cancer-causing junk. So, right, Nancy? That's right. So the, the their access to the outside is uh, a little cement uh, patch. And uh, And happy chickens. Happy eggs. Happy eggs. So you guys will drop dead less of cancers and all that one would hope, you see, right? Well, uh, we'll have to have Bill Nye on for that issue also. Well, actually, I'd like to do a health segment on, uh, you know, because right. there's a lot of controversy over eggs. People say, oh, they're good for you. Others people say no. Like Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, um, they have um, a lot of studies that show that eggs are not good for you. But we'll talk about that another Historically, time. Historically, you know, it was an anti-cholesterol approach, too. To right. Eggs, Acts, I think yeah. they reconsidered that They analysis. did, so we don't know. Okay. But anyway, pastured eggs. Now we start to get a little bit better, okay? Pasteurized eggs? Pasture. No, no, not pasteurized. Oh, Pasture-raised ra- eggs. Pasture-raised gotcha. eggs. So they come from chickens living the way you might imagine a chicken to live, like that picture on the carton there, that Walmart carton. In a meadow? Walking around in a meadow and fields and woods, Cage foraging free. for food, seeds, insects, cable. eating insects, watching a little bit cable, of cable here and HBO, there. Okay. They're probably watching Bill Nye the Science because Guy. They're good eggs, man. <laughs> and then they go back into their little hen house to roost, to nest, and to lay their eggs. So how cute is that, right? <laughs> oh. I, I don't think he's a hen, though, that guy. He might be in now, the hen house. Now, these... <laughs> Sounds like a guy. It is a guy. Okay. These pasture-raised eggs, they're most likely, because they have to go in a, go to pasture, they have to eat plant He wants healthy hens in that animal. No, but I'm saying if you're looking for vegetarian-fed eggs, these are not the ones, because they eat insects, worms, all oh, kinds of nice. stuff, okay? Oh, nice. So, okay. like I just said, you know, like... Um, they, they... So how does a consumer out there know... What's a vegetarian-fed uh, hen and what's not a vegetarian-fed fed hen? 
I'm getting confused. Pasture now. raised, yes, by by definition is not vegetarian. And in some cart, some some oh, some um, egg producers or egg cartons will say it's like, for example, cage free, vegetarian fed. Look at this. So you know that that didn't go outside. It didn't go outside, but it got just vegetarian food. But maybe it's okay if they eat insects. Well. If do you want them to go outside and get exercise and fresh air, right? So then, by if they're going to go and forage and not whatever, then they're not going to be vegetarian fed, right? So how do veggies feel about that? Well, if you're a, a true raw vegan person, first of all, you're not going to eat eggs. There you go. But if you're a vegetarian and you eat eggs, right. you're probably going to have an issue eating. You, you you're going to have a maybe you're like a vegetarian light, where you so, know. You're like kosher light, where you don't, you know, like but you're, you're okay that, eating eggs from chickens. That because it's like secondhand kind of thing, you, I know, know? But you know. Like what? Dale, for example, Dale is a vegetarian, but he'll eat eggs because he's not eating the actual insect or the worm. He's eating the egg that came from the mama who ate the insect and the worm. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know that, what I mean. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I never understood that. That's for another show. Yeah, it's for another show. So anyway, let's get to organic. Okay, so I don't know what happened to a Kimberly. Oh, Kimberly called today at 2.39. Oh, yeah? So Can we get our producer to maybe try to call Kimberly? Oh, you got to pay attention. Thank you. 2.39 is only a couple of minutes ago. It's just one minute ago. Okay, hopefully this person Kimberly, will try again. Kimberly, Dale, you're my producer. You're you supposed to be looking out. after this. You can call out, but do you have a screen? You gotta... But it's an, it's, a, it's an unknown call. So anyway, so, so let's go talk about we'll, organic we'll a little have bit. have our IT folks see if they can... Uh, Get a hold of uh, Miss Moore. Uh, if not, we'll continue on with my dilemma here as to whether tomatoes. Nancy, I have a question. I don't have their number. Yeah, what's your question? I have a question. Yeah, I'm listening. You ready? Yeah. If you use. Oh, here's, okay. This is Nancy on LA Talk Radio. Hi, Nancy. This is Kimberly Moore. How are you? I am so happy to hear from you, Kimberly. I think I missed your call, and I truly apologize. And Dale, That's my okay. producer, gave me hell on the air for not paying attention, so I am so sorry. Uh, <laughs> I apologize. Quite all right. Is it too late to join? No, not, not at, at all. all. We just would have liked more time. Uh, this is William uh, Mayoff here helping Nancy out here on the show. Welcome aboard. So thank really, you so much. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. And we'd like to have you on another time, too, so we can talk a little bit more because we just have nine minutes and there's so much to cover. So before we yes. get into the meat of it, could you tell us who you are and what you do? I'm an attorney out of Washington, D.C. I'm actually corporate tax, um, but animals is my sort of passion. And so all of my pro bono is dated, dedicated to animals. And I'm also the director of uh, public relations for Fur Free Society. In Washington, D.C. Oh, that's wonderful stuff. That's so great. can you, uh, I saw on the website, um, there was a topic on uh, the relationship between the between China and, or Chinese fur producers and the, in the fur industry. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes, China is actually the world's largest producer of fur, and they're also the, the world's largest consumer of fur. And unfortunately, there are no animal welfare laws in China. So um, here in the States, we point out the cruelty on fur farms, but there's sort of a um, desensitized 
um, citizenry there, if you will. They've, they're used to seeing horrendous acts committed against animals in the streets of China. Um, so we're trying to reach them in a different way than we would reach out to people in the United States. And so with China, we're, we're really driving home the message that fur is not green, is not environmentally sustainable, and it's certainly not natural once it's dyed and processed with chemicals. So what? What's the? This is first of all. What do, what do they see? I mean, you say people have become insensitive. I mean, what is going on in the streets of China? Well, I think that you know I have spoke with Chinese activists last year, and they say that it's actually not unusual to have animals skinned right in the streets of you know right in the main shopping district. Animals are are skinned essentially alive, and so I guess you know people what, growing up seeing this. It's just um, it's I'm not sorry. as devastating to see as, as we would think. So these are people so, who actually have been there, have seen it? These are actual witnesses who've seen this? These are Chinese activists that I spoke to at an international conference last year. Um, they're on the grounds. They're working, you know, trying to work with local authorities and international animal welfare organizations to improve conditions. Of course, we would like to just see the conditions end. But the um, conditions is as bad as you can imagine. They're even worse. You know, it's really and interesting. Bad here in the, mm-hmm. go, uh, go ahead. Finish your statement. I was going to say, they're even, they're even very poor here in the States as well. I mean, I could share one example with you, but it's, um, it's, horrend- it's even worse in China. Before we get to your example, I just want to say I was at an animal law conference in Portland many, many years ago. And uh, I was speaking to actually an animal activist. She was a Chinese national. And she confirmed to me that they were actually, they had on, on the streets, on the market, on the streets as you're walking, to, riding your bike or catching a bus, cats and dogs in cages. And they looked horrible. I mean, they were like totally neglected sad looking yeah. animals maybe ready to be skinned and these you know. are and so these were going to be fur skinned. animals and probably food too after you take the yeah. fur off they probably ate them and so we're talking about yeah. like many years ago and i'm thinking what the hell i mean why doesn't anybody do anything I yeah. Mean, I mean, we've only had a federal law in this country for about 10 years that barred the entry of cat and dog fur. So, I mean, we were seeing the importation of cat and dog fur. Consumers, um, this is before the Labeling Act got passed, but it was not unusual to go to a department store, pull a fur off the, the um, rack, and it turned out to be part cat or dog hair. What about rabbit? We now have a federal law. Do we, it's, th- yeah, it's, it's terrible. Has the federal law also banned uh, rabbit fur? Um, no, no. Rabbit furs can be animals can be skinned. I mean, there's essentially no laws that um, govern or make the the execution process humane. It's you know from from the moment they're born till the moment they're killed, they are you know they they live very tortured lives. With but no legal but as far as this really, as far as this country goes, there's a ban. Correct, a ten year old. If I'm understanding you correctly, ten year old one banning cat and dog for imported into this country is that accurate or not that is correct that's at the federal level thank you but that doesn't extend to rabbit fur correct you just said that right correct okay so so when i just saw a little bit ago on facebook uh some dogs were going into a little town or village in china and in front of cars and traffic they just beat the crap out of forgive my language out of these animals in the public so that's that's not propaganda nonsense that's a reality in china correct 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the worst things that we can imagine, and things that we would you know, we actually see here, in, see here in the states too, were definitely not without our own problems. But they are even worse in China. There's there's no animal animal welfare law at all. There's no environmental laws that that sort of protect citizens. It's just um, it's just sort of a free for all. So let me so ask you a very, question. Very very horrendous. The way we alienate, and there's been a lot of success with the furs up in Canada, you know, the clubbing of the seals. How can consumers, listeners out there, how can we build a wave? How can we build, you know, some clout by the numbers to put economic pressures, get some conscience or interest in this country or worldwide to put pressure on China like we do on Japan with the, you know, the whale the, and all that? Can you help us in that endeavor? Give us some guidance? Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of work to be done in the United States, but I, I absolutely believe that the way that we, we end this industry is to basically shine a bright light on it. So all conditions that animals endure should be fully available to the public. Here in the United States, uh, USDA used to have inspection reports up until two years ago on their website. You could go in and do a search right on their website. That's where we pulled information on one fur farm in the United States. What's they the name of that down. fur farm? What's the name of that fur farm? Ruby Fur Farm. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, the name rings a bell now. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard, believe it or not, it's hard to even get information here in the United States. Imagine what it's like to, to get information in China. Course, I mean, course. the activists there are very dedicated, but some of them are doing activism into their own, you know, risk to their own well-being. Of course. So, right. They kill them. Dedicated. They kill them. They, they, you know, I'm sure... So uh, you you were talking about an example that you've seen in this whole in in, in this country about um... no, but what can we do about this? How do we turn the tables, Kimberly? What can we start to do brick by brick? Well, it's important because people in China have become desensitized to animal cruelty. What they do care about is the environment because so many mm-hmm. areas in China are just literally choking on pollution. Okay, there you we go. really need to drive home the fact that. Fur farming is factory farming. It involves animal waste. It involves uh, carcinogenic industrial chemicals. It results in a product that has been proved to be toxic at the end of the day when it's on the rack. Um, There's been studies of chemicals found in the fur on children's uh, fur products. It's highly toxic. It's not. What a great approach. Kimberly, this is a genius way for people who are desensitized, as you just articulated to get them to care at least selfishly about themselves to try to limit the flow of this toxic stuff. This is great, the idea, right? Absolutely. Tell yeah. us more. I mean, you just have, Go ahead. You just have to look. I mean, factory farming, as we know, no one would ever argue that factory farming is good for the environment. So our message is for farming is factory farming. You need only look to the, the mink uh, farms up around Nova Scotia. Decades ago, those like, those lakes were just crystal blue, pure, and decades later, after mink farming has taken over that area, we're seeing blue-green algae form in the lakes, and there's been government reports warning that, right. you know, animals are not going to be able to breathe underwater. They need oxygen. That blue-green algae sucks it out, and there's been private foundations which have done studies, too, but it all emanates from chemical and industrial and animal waste coming from mink farms. Oh, actually, there's uh, William. You probably heard of this. It's Dr. Suzuki. He's very famous, and he he that's really the spoke. Report. Yeah, that's he, the report. Yeah, this is yeah. You. So that's the report. Yeah, I know. Read that report. It's uh, very clear, and uh, 
it, it's just unfortunate that so that's we're not great, moving so more this quickly. is how we progress on this you appeal to other sensibilities right and and the same the ends you know what i'm saying you'll still get to reach the same goal hopefully but, but, but there's also this argument and kimberly i want you back on the show so we can talk please, about this please. um that uh, full fur is uh, worse for the environment than fake than real fur, and I mean obviously that's not true. We have overwhelming evidence to show that that's not true. But I want you, because you're the expert, to come back because now we're out of time, um, and we'll we'll uh, we'll talk uh, via email as to what is a good time for you to to come back and talk about please, that. Please, Kimberly. talk about this whole you know would, this environmentalist I, saying that you know like you know polyester blah 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 acrylic and you know that whole argument. You know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And I would just point out that the fashion industry came out itself in 2017 with a report that concluded that animal products are not only unjustified and cruel, but they're also worse for the environment. This was the Pulse of the Fashion Industry 2017 report um, published by Global Fashion Agenda and Boston Consulting Group. The own, their own industry themselves are saying, stop using animals. It's just detrimental oh, to the environment. Wow. Very cool. Well, we're moving forward, not quickly as quickly as we would like, but people like you help make a change, and that's why I had you come on and talk, because um, we need more people like you. What can I say? So anyway, I thanks for coming that. on the show, Kimberly, and we'll be in touch, because we have so to do much. part-time. The Kimberly, part two. <laughs> we want you, you back, part two, please, okay? Okay, thank you. Have a nice Absolutely, Sunday. Absolutely, at your convenience. Okay, yep. ciao, bye. Thanks thank a million. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank Bye-bye. you Bye-bye. for having me. Bye-bye. All right, bye. So this is all the time we have. Nancy, um, great show. Great, Nancy, informative. And what do we do next? Step one, two, three. Yeah, okay? but now we're out of time as to talk. We can continue next week. We're really out of time. Thanks for everybody for listening. Thanks for spending this time with us. Nancy at AnimalLawyer.com. And you can go to the website AnimalLawLawyer.com. Everything is there. Um, and uh, feel free to Thank let you us know your comments. So. Uh, thank you, Dale, for uh, reprimanding you, me about not picking up the call. William, thank you for your time. Love, and love. thank you, all of you, uh, for spending this time with us. Thanks for doing great justice. Pleasure. Bye-bye, Bye. folks. You're listening to Animal News Magazine with Nancy DeFabio, only on L.A. Talk Radio.